I'm Dana Lloyd. Welcome to Soul Sister Conversations, the podcast, where you will be inspired and empowered to connect more deeply with your authentic self as we explore topics of personal development, leadership, and spirituality. Your journey to your most authentic self starts right now. Welcoming the Unwelcome by Pema Chodron. This is the topic of today's discussion with my friend, Lynn Gao, who helps guide people on their spiritual journey. You do not need to have read this book in order to enjoy our discussion. We do the work in highlighting some of our favorite spiritual teachings from this book, such as the importance of having a spiritual practice, getting up close with suffering, living in accordance with your authentic self, and practicing open awareness. Let's dive in. Lynn Gao, welcome to Soul Sister Conversations. Hi, Dana. Good morning. Well, thank you for having this conversation with me. Uh, one of the things I think is neat about doing this podcast is that I think we met through Soul Sister Conversations or through Instagram or some sort of combination of both uh, where we started following each other on Instagram. And I, I think we realized we had a lot in common. Sometimes you'd post things and I'm like, oh my God, you must be my twin. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, because we have a, a coaching and leadership background as well as our own desire to help others. Plus, we're both interested in spiritual growth. And those are all the topics that I cover on Soul Sister Conversations. And, and I knew you uh, liked Pema Chodron, and that's what we're going to be talking about today is welcoming the unwelcome. Um, but first, back in 2018, you embarked on a two-year spiritual direction formation program. And as you started to pay attention to your own intuition and inter inner wisdom, it became clear that the one constant through all your careers had been a focus on empowering people. And you believe and teach that the key to effective teams and organizations is the same as what we need as individuals to become our best selves, live our best lives, find true peace of mind, know who we are and live in alignment with who we are, who we were created to be. And I think that's what I love about it, is, is that that blend between what you do in organizations and this, this own seeking self, and somewhere they intersect. But I'm curious, in 2018, what drew you to take a spiritual program? Were you already on a path of spirituality? or? Yeah, I mean, I would say that I have always been looking back I realize I've always been a seeker and um, <clears throat> even from the time that I was a little girl you know I would was always kind of aware um, of uh, God or power greater than myself or something that I would talk to every day and and then of course it took various you know sort of paths throughout my life looking for you know what was a uh, the right fit and um and then, of course, you know, life gets busy and you get involved in your career. And I was involved in the corporate world and, and business leadership and those things. But it, it was a point in my life where I, um, I, I saw this program was available. It was kind of in the back of my mind. And, and then I thought, no, you know, later, I'm too busy, too many things going on in my life. And interestingly enough, I had three people ask me within the space of a week, do you do spiritual direction? And I said, no, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not trained to do spiritual direction uh, at this point in my, in my life. And, and um, when three people ask you kind of the same question in the period of a week, you think, well, maybe I should check that out. And um, so I, I looked into it and it really, you know, it all came together very quickly. And when you just know something is meant to be, you just have to trust it. So uh, it was an amazing, amazing journey. And when I did it originally, it was for my own spiritual growth, but it has become part of my practice as well over that mm. time. It's so funny is when we learn, you know, take anything that's about teaching other people, we learn so much mm -hmm. ourselves on that journey. I'm curious, what does spirituality mean to you? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I went through a period in my life, probably in my early 20s, when I could have given you um, great definitions and I had everything figured out. I knew exactly who God was, how it worked, all the, all the details. And, and it's been a bit of a circular process for me because I'm probably today know less or feel that I know less than I've ever known about spirituality or about 
uh, a relationship with the sacred or a higher power or your intuition or whatever you want to call it. I, I, um, and it's actually better for me that I know less because I'm always uh, searching and looking and, and um, curious and spirituality to me really has become connecting that process of connecting with that inner wisdom that's deep inside, you know, that part of yourself that is um, below all the roles that you, you have in your life or your thoughts or even your feelings, but it's something deeper than that. And, um, and for me, that, that spirit inside connects with uh, a more universal spirit and, and don't ask me to explain it because, and I don't need to, I don't need to understand it, but I experience it on a daily basis. Yeah. It's so funny that you describe it like that. Cause I noticed, uh, I had shared something on Instagram, uh, the other day and you had, you know, liked it or, and, and now I realized why that resonance. And it was a quote by Rumi that, um, Deepak Co- uh, Chopra was quoting and it said, exchange cleverness for bewilderment mm-hmm. and, and that no, uh, you, Deepak was saying that no humanity, is, your humanity is incomplete if you are not basically that always sort of searching or bewildered about mm-hmm. it. And in some way that alleviates the stress of knowing, you know, that oh, yeah. there, there is something um, fun and fascinating. And it's interesting that you say that you feel like you know less as, as you're um, getting uh, further along in your spiritual journey. So Kind of interesting. And and where would you just, des- how would you describe where you are on your spiritual journey? Is it more of one of bewilderment, even though you said you knew it all, you thought you knew it all, and now you don't? Well, I think it's, um, the words that come to mind for me are uh, curiosity, you know, uh, Pema talks a lot about that. I'm not sure maybe in this book, but certainly in all of her teachings <clears throat> about just having that curiosity or that interest in what's happening. And so, um, not you're right, it does take the pressure off because there's a, a letting go of feeling that you have to understand or explain everything that happens, but a willingness and a bit of a trust in the process. You know, I've been through, as most people have, lots of um, ups and downs and, and things in my journey and in my life. And to know that I've been kind of carried through those times and come out uh, on the other side with, you know, probably... Um, a life that I could not have have um, designed for myself. And whenever I let go of that and just sort of trust and am curious and take the next step forward and be present in the moment, then um, amazing things start to happen. Uh, so letting go of that control. So I would say curiosity, a real sense of trust and a bit of awe and wonder. So some the bewilderment kind of comes into that. But mm-hmm. and it's more like and actually when I think about it, it's really more like I was when I was six, seven, eight years old in terms of that getting up every day and sort of talking to, you know, God, the universe, that higher power. So you did that at six? I did. I did. And I think that um, probably came from my relationship with my grandmother. She was a very, a woman of very strong faith and a very real faith, you know, not necessarily, um, you know, she was connected to the church, etc. But it was um, a very real and she, uh, I think I, she had a big influence on me. And, um, but yeah, I did. I used to talk, talk to God, the universe, uh, when I was little. So I feel like I'm back there now. And, you know, it was, I think it was Picasso who said, it takes a man a long time to become young, you know, Mm. and I think that's really the goal. Did she teach you to talk to God? Like you say, like, because often, you know, in my own upbringing, we were, you know, say your prayers. And I would, I guess, just develop my own, you know, I had, I'd had a few extras that I'd be sticking yeah. on this. So I guess in some way I was learning to talk to God, but did she, if she had a real connection to faith, did she teach you how to talk to God or, or, or give you some guidance on that? Yeah, it probably wasn't formal. It was probably more osmosis in terms of, you know, I can remember staying at her house overnight when I was little and every night before bed, she would do her prayers and she would, 
um, sit at the kitchen table, you know, for her with her Bible and do some reading and it was quiet. And, and I remember, um, you know, sort of watching her and, and really, I think uh, the other is, I don't know, I, th- I think personally, we have a natural tendency to, to make that connection. And, um, and yeah. uh, I used to, and I used to look like she used to talk to me about paying attention and looking and seeing where God shows up on a daily basis. So that's kind of the other side of that relationship. If you think about prayer and meditation, you know, it's one is talking, one is listening mm-hmm. and, and learning how to, um, you know, to look for God. I, years later, I had a spiritual director and she said to me, you know, God is uh, speaks to us every day. It's just that we don't pay attention. And so mm-hmm. it's learning how to uh, to pay attention. How did your grandmother teach you to pay attention? I think, um, I can't think of specific examples, except that we spent a lot of time together when I was growing up. And um, and I think she just shared a lot of her own journey. And mm. we, would, we would talk about um, things that would happen in the course of a day. And, you know, we spent a lot of time in the garden. And I, it, I and, and, um, I just, I just knew that she was close to God, you know, and, uh, and, and I wanted that too. That's so interesting. The influences that, you know, you, people can have on a child at a young age in such a positive way to help build that faith early on. And one of the things you talked about, you said about letting go and trust that you moved into that space in your life. And that's difficult to do. I mean, there those words again, like surrender and letting go. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for the control freaks and all of us that Mm -hmm. want to control all the outcomes. And sometimes it's not until, you know, I've found out for myself until you're really challenged, what does it mean to truly let go? And I realized it's the thing I should do in the beginning, not the end. (laughs) But boy, it's difficult. Yeah, you know, so... I'm curious, how did you come upon or be introduced to Welcoming the Unwelcome by Pema Children? Well, I probably, I've been reading her material for about 10 years. And so, um, you know, there was a a new book and I mean, it was just, uh, you know, I I have, I think most of, most of her books. Um, So that was an easy one for me. And of course, during, we're in a time right now when there's a lot of things happening uh, globally and in our own lives that we would consider unwelcome, you know, things, mm-hmm. situations that we don't want, you know, limitations in terms of travel or being with family or all of those kinds of things. And so it also felt like um, a book for the time. It's interesting, though, as I went through it, um, there, it's very consistent with everything that I've learned from her and from those Buddhist teachings uh, for the last 10 years. So it's not, I mean, there's a few things that are maybe a new take on things, but I find through all of her materials, she, she reinforces the same messages um, over and over again. So um, yeah, it was, I was just, it was an automatic, um, you know, for me to, to get the book. Hmm. Yeah, Pema is someone that I've only been introduced to, I'd say, in the past, it might be five or six years. And it wasn't until I, I think someone had shared um, like a Facebook quote and it had Pema Chodron. And I didn't know if Pema was a man or a woman. I thought, oh, this must be a Buddhist monk uh, from 500 years ago, as yeah. often some of them are. And, and it was just this beautiful quote. And it was just really impacted me. And then one day I was watching Super Soul Sunday and Oprah said, up next, Pema Chodron. I'm like, she's alive? (laughs) (laughs) And then she said, and she lives in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. I'm like, what? Yeah. (laughs) And so she's very alive and well. I think she's in her 80s. Um, but that was the first time I was, um, introduced to her and I can't remember the book they were discussing at the time. It's probably a couple books from five or five, five or six years ago, but she just had such a sweet present nature about her. And what she talked about was just practical and you're right. It's, you know, it's the time that we're living in and isn't, aren't we always just living in a time? Like we're always in an unwelcome time in some regards. And the, uh, sub, uh, subtitle to her book is wholehearted living in a broken hearted world. 
And um, she just gives so like said, su such practical advice for me. It's just very straightforward and stuff that can be user friendly um, for people. And I'm curious what, you know, impact did this book have on you in particular? Because I know you really enjoyed the book and, and I did as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and these are, like I say, consistent messages from mm -hmm. other teachings. But, um, you know, one of the things about this book that she, you know, starts off right in the very beginning, which is begin with a broken heart. I mean, um, yeah. the, the, <laughs> the, um, relief I think that I got from um, even her, the first um, book that I, well, actually it wasn't a book, it was an audio, audio book that I got, which was Getting Unstuck, was this idea that um, you, you, you know, she, she talks about getting connected to suffering, right? And that it's, mm -hmm. and, and there's an acceptance that there is suffering and that it is difficult and there's no, um, no expectation that you're going to fix it. You know, there's no mm -hmm. quick fixes. There's no silver bullets. It's learning how to be present with it and to allow it to uh, teach you and be part of your life. And so really when she talks about, um, you know, uh, that fine art of failure in that, that chapter, and she says, eventually accustom our nervous system to relaxing with the truth to relaxing with the impermanent, uncontrollable nature of things. We can slowly increase our ability to expand rather than contract, to let go rather than to cling. You know, she refers it as holding the rawness of vulnerability in our mm. heart. And, you know, I was um, a kid that grew up that had big emotions and big feelings. And I was, you know, because my mother was concerned about me be going out into the world with, you know, that big heart right out there, you know, her guidance to me was about shutting it down and closing it off and mm -hmm. protecting myself. And so I, I, I started down this path in my life of trying to really deny that part of who I was. I didn't understand that at the time. I thought I was just learning how to be in the world. And, um, but you know, with these teachings and this book specifically, you know, it it's it's about opening up to that side of ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. And to sitting with it and being present with it and to, you know, we become more fully and completely who we are and acknowledging that. So, and, and then giving you, you're right, she's very practical, giving you the, the tools and the things to do um, to start to practice and move in that direction. Mm. Yeah, because it's, it's difficult to carry that suffering that she talks about with you. Like in the book, she does talk about kind of getting really up close with it. And it's like, and making it bigger. I'm like, ooh, that's going to be painful. <laughs> yeah. But you know, the interesting thing about it is, and, and one thing I hadn't seen before in th that's in this book is in the chapter Beyond the Comfort Zone. And she talks about that comfort zone. You know, that's that place where we all want to be, where everything's comfortable and familiar and sort of safe. And then, and then she talks about the learning zone or challenging yourself a little bit with sitting with things that are uncomfortable. And then she also talks about the risk zone or or excessive risk zone. And um, I had an opportunity to sit in on a weekend retreat with her, a virtual one through the Omega Institute um, a year or so ago. And she talked about that as often the place of trauma. So if we've been through some real trauma in our life, it maybe isn't safe to sit, you know, with everything that comes up from that. So really, um, a, and she talks throughout this book about sort of an, a gradual um, extending of that comfort zone into that learning or challenge zone and, and sit with those feelings a bit. Yeah. And then we start to move out instead of shut down, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because what you were saying about you had your big emotions and big feelings as a child and then learned to shut them out. And in a way, you're denying your authentic self. Right? Yeah. You're, you're, yeah. As soon as we begin to hide things about ourselves, like shame builds up and we think that we're not good enough, that somehow there's another default that we should be living by. And the default is the one that we set ourselves. It's who we are and asked to bring that into the world. 
and, and you're right that this when you open up this book and chapter chapter one kicks you right in the gut you know begin <laughs> with a broken heart i'm like okay pema we're off to the races yeah <laughs> and yeah. i love what she says the little quote of her own quote that she begins chapter one with she says our aim is to fully awaken our heart and mind yeah. not just for our own greater well-being but also to bring benefits solace solace and wisdom to other living beings what motivation could top that and i love that because it's in alignment to me with the book that sort of changed my perspective which is Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth mm -hmm. that the whole idea really is is it is your own awakening but because of then you have your own awakening, you help raise a other level of consciousness, right? There is a greater awakening that is happening uh, when you yourself awaken. And like you say, we're, we're living in challenging times as it never seems like we're not. Um, so what, what greater well-being than, than to live your own and be able to, you know, it's this idea of leading by example mm -hmm. that people see you doing it. They see that it's maybe it's okay for them to lead their authentic lives, to show more vulnerable piece of themselves, to live in accordance with what they want to do in this life. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, 100%. And, you know, honestly, if I think about Pema in terms of what she shares and how she shares it, it's in the book and I hear her voice when I read this book, but also in her audiobooks, if you ever have a chance or folks have a chance to listen. Uh, Good to, idea. Yeah, because she's great to listen to. Oh, she is. And, and you know, because she had, she made, it, it wasn't the first time that I had done some reading or looked at some of the Buddhist practices, but they always felt inaccessible to me, right? And because yeah. she shared her own examples, and she uses a language that makes it very accessible and very doable. I mean, it's a little bit uncomfortable. But you know, the thing is, I think there's been a craving in me from the time I was little to give birth to that part of myself. And here was somebody saying, not only can you, but yes, you should. And this is how you do it in a way that she talks a lot about loving kindness towards ourselves and others. Mm. And then um, and and a way to gradually. And she said it's a lifelong journey. That's why it's a practice. I remember yeah. I, I had a huge aha moment, to use Oprah's term, um, one time when she was talking about meditation. And, and, and she said, and I don't know why probably everybody else knows this, but I heard it for the first time. She said, we do this practice every day so that when we're in a difficult situation, a real challenging situation, we it becomes something that we more naturally go to because we've practiced Absolutely. it. And I went, practice that so it, we're not just practice practicing every day meditation just because we need to meditate every day but we're preparing ourselves in a different way of being so that when life is difficult or something happens we have you know exercised that spiritual muscle right and Absolutely. we're more likely to use it yeah it's so true. It's so true because that's exactly my sentiment, whether it's with gratitude or um, this idea of, of awakening or learning about ourselves. You need to know it in advance of the suffering mm -hmm. <laughs> because, exactly. because you need it. That, that's not the time to learn it is when yeah. you're in the suffering. It's too difficult. You can't see it. Yeah. But when you have something that you've practiced, think of it like building a muscle Mm -hmm. You have strength to lean on during that time, whether it is a gratitude practice that you can find a silver lining or something that you can be um, grateful for that day. But if it's about learning to awaken, see the greater purpose, there's so many things that you can practice, mm -hmm. but that's the key word is practice. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it becomes uh, and to me, it feels like it has to be a daily practice. Just like you said, you saw your grandmother sitting at the table with her Bible, sitting in quiet time. Mm -hmm. um, because it needs to be something that's repeated so you can build that muscle. I don't know about you, but I find if it's something's not daily, you just forget about it. It's like that's if you right. try it weekly, you're like, oh, right, a month went by. <laughs> I didn't do that. Or but go it, it does not belong. Yeah, or go to it, try to go to it in crisis. You're right. It's not yeah. the time to be that learning how to time. do it. Yeah. 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 It's so true. One of the um, ideas that really struck me in this book, or um, I think it was early in the book, and it's what I believe, but just the way that she articulated it, that um, just um, 
struck home. And it was this idea that polarization begins in your mind. Mm -hmm. And um, that is something that she talks about that, for example, if there's someone that you're thinking ill of, you're not really going to be able to hide that when you see them in some way. It's going to come out maybe in a snide remark or mm-hmm. shun them in some way. And I think for, you know, even the time that we're living in, what you know, that can be applied to sm- the smaller ideas or your relationships, this polarization, what you think about people. And then it begins to it could grow into this diversiveness, you know, in, in a much larger level. And I just like that idea of how she articulated that polarization begins in your mind. And again, it's this idea, if you change your thoughts, you can change your life. It, you change your outcomes. You change how you relate to people. But you to guard that and make sure that you're not having those polarizing thoughts. And that was a big takeaway for me in this book. You know, so, and I don't know if it's, if it's in this, if she mentions it in this book in some form probably, but certainly in her teaching, she talks about whatever comes up is the pathway to enlightenment. And, and I love that because if I am thinking ill of somebody or I feel like I have a resentment or I'm, Mm. you know, there's something brewing, um, you know, she's been, you know, all through her stuff and I've really gravitated to this. She's, she says, you know, have that loving kindness towards yourself, right? So mm-hmm. if that comes up in you, because immediately I want to fix it, right? I want to check. Oh, oh, that's bad. I have to change it. But she said, have that curiosity about that. Oh, what is that? Yeah. that why do I feel that way? Oh, isn't that interesting? And there is a, a sort of, you know, a loving kindness towards yourself about something's coming up in me because anything that comes up is an opportunity for some insight or some enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And so then you sit with that in meditation or you, you know, you open up in terms of that. So, um, but yes, it, it does. It starts in the mind, which is, which is why, you know, in a lot of the work I do, even outside of this is, is how we get past the mind, mm-hmm. even down through the heart to, and as you say, that authentic self, uh, mm-hmm. because that's where, where we, sift and sort a lot of those um, thoughts and feelings. Mm, Absolutely. Were there any other chapters that impacted you or the ideas in this book that you're well read on Pema um, that maybe was different or that she said in a different way that, or one that you you had forgotten about that? No, that's, (laughs) I need to remember that. Well, there's a, I mean, there's a couple, one of the, um, one of the things I love and I had started doing it uh, was, you know, her description of the Tonglen practice, right? So that's the, we've talked about that, her ability to actually give you tools to work with and to practice. And I can just tell you from experience that that has been really transformative for me. Um, and I, I've practiced it and I've worked with it. And then I've been in situations where I've, um, you know, I've been hooked by something, you know, and, and in one of her other books, she talks about the concept of Shempa, right, that hooked feeling, it's almost mm-hmm. pre emotion where you're, you're just about to go into reactive mode, triggered. And yes, there, that's exactly. And, um, you know, with Tonglen to be able to sit and to breathe that in, because our, my tendency is to push it away. And, mm. um, and, lock it down or avoid it or blame the other, but to actually sit with that triggered feeling and breathe it in and then breathe out that wish for love and acceptance and that practice. And she, she talks about it through the book, but she actually has the section at the back where she talks about uh, sitting, sitting meditation and then talks about the Tonglen practice. Uh, And then of course the other concept, which you know, is consistent with her material, but was new to me, um, was at the very, very end, she calls it location, embrace, stop and remain or laser. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, again, another technique. So, you know, when something is happening, that sort of sitting with it and um, 
you know, where is it coming from and reflecting on it and then and really then taking it in to feel it fully, which is so counterintuitive. Yes. To everything, <laughs> everything I've ever I don't want to do it, Liz. No, <laughs> no. But see, that's why that's why I love that section about the comfort zone and the learning zone and the risk zone. I have permission to do as much as I can. Right. If I can do a little bit more right. today than I did yesterday, right? That's why it's a practice, right? But then, mm. and then, and then stop, stop the storyline associated oh, yes. with that. Story. Right? Yeah. Because that <laughs> takes us, you know, and that's one of my ways of avoiding that uncomfortable feeling is to go right into the mind. And in the mind, that's where the story is, right? Mm-hmm. And I've been a all or nothing person all my life. So the story is either blaming somebody else for what's going on and finding fault and doing a critique of the situation or the opposite of that, which is to blame myself and take it all Mm, on myself. And, you know, when she says, let go of that story and sit with the emotion, right? And really take it all in because whatever comes up is the pathway to enlightenment, right? Mm -hmm. And then remain and stay present. So, um, so that, you know, just the way she articulated that practice um, was new, was yeah, sort of. And that, that's way. a tough one, I really have to say, because I have been examining that after I read that, and I was thinking, now, how is this going to help me? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, usually when something happens, I tend to do what's going on here. Why did this happen? Like I'm trying to figure out the root cause, yep. and I'm still trying to struggle with. I, I get being with it. But I'm still struggling with what I'm what is am I'm going to get out of it when she talks about, you know, breathe that in, you breathe out acceptance or whatever, you're breathing out peace. Well, that's what I hope. Like I'm going to do a little exchange when it comes in, but I haven't quite worked through um the power the power that is in that by getting up close to the suffering and, and how how it dissipates as a result of being up close with it. Right. So what happens for me, there's lots of times in my life where you know, I've been aware for many years about how I need to let things go, you know. Uh, but often I thought I had let something go when really I had stuffed it down inside yeah. and it comes out later in some other way. Um, and so what I've found with the Tonglen practice and these other practices is to really sit with it and to take it in and to feel it. You're right, it does dissipate it. Um, and I learn something about myself usually, right? There's some some learning, some insight that comes. And then kind of at the end of that process or, you know, maybe it's over a couple of days, she talks um, uh, about the shelf life of any intense emotion of as is a 24 to 48 hour period if we don't feed it, right? If mm-hmm. we don't uh, accentuate it. But then when you talk about the root cause, it's much easier for me to see clearly that root cause if I have first um, sat with that emotion and allowed it to kind of teach me and and dissipate and process. Mm-hmm. Um, if I try to sort out a root cause when I'm still um, dealing with that or I've pushed it down, then it it's I usually don't get to a clear sense of the truth. I usually am mm. back and forth and I'm analyzing and um, in my head, I don't, I, it doesn't work for me. Mm. You just said something that made me just shift or I'll have to walk away and consider it a little bit when I was trying to get, you know, examine this, get up close with the suffering is that I'm often sitting with the situation versus the emotion. Mm. And so I've just kind of wrote down, I'm like, wait a sec. Now it's the emotion that I should be sitting with, not the situation. Cause that's where I go. How did I get here? What, what happened yeah. versus maybe examining what, what is the emotion that's, that is, you know, t- triggering or hurtful or whatever. So I have to walk away and explore that. I mean, I often will, you know, say, I will often consciously think I will look at that situation, but first I'm going to take care of myself in this, in this emotion, right? So it's not that you don't, you know, look at that root cause or deal with that. But for me, this has to come first. Otherwise, I, I don't trust my own responses or reactions or my interpretation of what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the uh, chapters that, uh, which I really liked, it was helpful 
for someone like me, it was in chapter eight, uh, where she talks about suffering has to be balanced with love and kind kindness because, and perhaps the, it's the line of work that I'm in or that I'm up close with um, often with people suffering, whether it's small suffering or large suffering and make sure that I don't get overwhelmed because I'm empathetic. And it, sometimes you, you lose faith. No, I don't lose faith in the world, but you, you're tempted to in that, or you recognize so many people are suffering Mm -hmm. that I actually have to balance it with this idea of loving kindness. So it's whether it's even be more kind to people or, Mm -hmm. um, and and not just filling it all up with, um, you know, being witness to people suffering. So there has to be a balance. Otherwise people like myself can get out of whack. And what do you think about that? Oh yes. A hundred percent. And you know, it's interesting I mean, I go back to Tonglen practice, right? Because one of the things that um, she talks about is the fact that you actually, through that practice of actually bringing that in and sitting with it and then breathing out, right, the wish for peace and, Mm. you know, whatever that is for that person or people in that situation, um, it, it starts to shift things and there's a warmth and uh, tenderness that comes for yourself and for others. Um, Mm. And, you know, again, it's one of those things that I can't explain necessarily how that works, um, Mm. but it has worked for me, right? Is, and, and the loving kindness comes um, as a result of that, but yes, you're absolutely right. And, and loving kindness for ourselves too, right? Because we well, I'll speak for myself. I, I can analyze and critique others and be critical, um, think they should have done this or, mm-hmm. you know, these things have happened that have gotten them into this situation. And if they just did this and this, um, but yes, absolutely having to balance with loving kindness. Mm. I'm curious, are there any other chapters or quotes or ideas that were presented that, um, that struck you or that you enjoyed reading again? The um, one of the things that was really helpful for me with this book was, and maybe it is partly to do with sort of where we are, um, is is I always knew that uh, doing this, working with these practices and increasing our awareness, etc., affects us, but it also affects the world. But that was mm-hmm. sort of a a nebulous concept to me. And I think that this book has helped to integrate that a little bit more for me. So um, on page 123, um, in that chapter where it says our wisdom changes the world, um, she says, as we see, there is so much violence, polarization, environmental degradation and suffering all over the globe. Things seem like they're spinning out of control We can respond to this state of affairs with fear, aggression, and selfishness, or we can respond out of trust in our vast, open, and basically good mind, which is timelessly aware, yet empty of imputed meanings. How we respond will determine the way the world will go. And as citizens of the world, we can help things go in a different direction of wisdom, caring, and compassion. And earlier on, she talks about you know, if I change, and we go back to my grandmother, right, just she didn't really, she was never prescriptive to me telling me what to do or how to do it. Mm. But the way she lived her life had a big influence on me. So if we think about all of the people that we touch on a daily basis, and if we're consistent about our way of being and our interactions, then that impacts them. And you yes. don't, you, you have no control over how far that goes, but you're, I, I started to really think um, that it does matter. You know, what we do does matter to it the does. world, you know, I a hundred percent agree with that. Yeah. 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 How we respond is exactly right. And, and it feels like, you know, for me, it's either you, you, when you, how you respond, it's either you're moving uh, away from your ego and toward your highest self or the other way, mm-hmm. like how, which place are you going to respond from? And so much of what she talks about, I find in this book is she talks about basic goodness in yeah. people yeah. and that she gives an example of a biker friend and he's in a gang or something. And, um, she was talking about, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but it was this idea 
that he, I think he was going to maybe help his mother or something like that. And she was talking, but if you talk to him like, oh, you a troublemaker, you know, he would have responded in a different way just by your response versus going, oh, that must be really important to you. Or, um, you know, you're touching, you're seeing or acknowledging that basic goodness in a person, even if they're not living their highest quality life, that that actually impacts and ripples out. You, you are connecting. And I think really, you know, the, you're connecting with people's basic goodness. You're connecting with their authentic selves yeah. and people respond differently when you touch that space. Yeah. 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 I mean, that was really powerful, you know, and I think she talks about that basic goodness a lot <laughs> during the, throughout the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The other, um, uh, chapter that I know that I really enjoyed was the how you label things is how you see it. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, this is something that happens a lot, <laughs> you know, in the world. And, and she talks about her own mother, how she labeled her mom, she, you know, kind of looked down on her mother as a hypochondriac, and she had self pity for her. Mm -hmm. And but other people saw her as funny and light. And, you know, we are many things. We are multi multifaceted. Like she said, you know, talk about, I think at some point, some monk were laughing because somebody called a tree, a tree. It was so much more than a tree. It's so mm -hmm. much more, you know, the bark and the roots and the life and the changes, the oxygen and so on. And, the, and I think it's such a great example of how we boil down someone's um, essence to a label. Mm -hmm. And when we make people small, we make the world small, right? We make it very narrow versus large and vast that we can be and show up and be who are you were meant to be. What, what, what are your thoughts on the, the oh, label idea? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it really, it goes back to that same concept of, of uh, letting go of the story or the narrative, right? Yeah. I mean, if we, if we, and it's interesting, of course, what occurred to me when you were talking was even in terms of how, I think I was labeled or then and then took on that label in terms of labeling myself. I'm too emotional. You know, I'm mm. too, uh, I expect too much. This is the other message that I got early on. You expect too much from other people. And I actually was told um, you're never going to be loved the way you want to be loved. You expect oh, to be loved. Wow. Because, and there was a fear, I think, um, on my mother's part that I was going to go into the world and be hurt constantly yeah. because I had this sort of, as she perceived it, idealistic expectation about what relationships would be like, etc. And so I took on this sort of feeling about myself that there was something inherently wrong with this intense level of um, emotion. And, and I do believe it's there because I, again, the spiritual director said to me, when we met a few times, she said, you have a very active inner life. <laughs> mm -hmm. Great way to describe it. <laughs> I'm taking that. <laughs> Mine is busy, busy. <laughs> well, and I started, I think it was around that time that I started to think, you know, maybe it's okay that that's who I am. And I remember having that little thought that day. Yes. And it really started to shift everything for me. It's like, well, maybe that's part of who I am I just have to figure out how to live that because when you try to shut it down you don't there's no growth there's no maturity there's no learning how to how to integrate that into the rest of who you are and, and it doesn't out. feel right no right no. it doesn't sit well with you right yeah well no and that, you. yeah exactly but you know, I, I did a lot through my life to avoid and shut down and, and, um, and block those things. And, uh, and I, you know, today I'm very grateful for a lot of the, the, the spiritual journey, because as difficult as it was to come face to face with some of that, um, those things, you know, you talk about those uncomfortable feelings or those memories or those places in myself that, um, you know, it's like it, it was like opening up the box to an unruly child, you know. <laughs> and but there's also, you know, you think about Carl Jung and the shadow self, right? And you think mm -hmm. about those parts of ourselves that we keep locked away because we've been labeled, or there's labels that we're trying to live up to in terms of our society. But to really get in touch of, with all of who we are, um, so the tree being the all of those pieces of the tree, and and not. Um, and then having that curiosity and that openness and, and, and then translating that into how we deal with, um, with others around us for sure. 
So true. And I think it's such an important point, you know, um, as you said, your mother was asking you basically not to show that piece of yourself. And you're right. I think as parents, we do that to protect our children. We're seeing it. And from our own experience in the world, we know what kind of um, response one could get. But I mean, you can get all sorts of response from all sorts of people. Mm -hmm. But I think it's sort of a message to us as parents to not ask our children to play down, dumb it down, make it small, um, because they want to play large, they want to be able to, that is part of their authentic self that it's going to feel off Mm -hmm. if they don't get to express part of themselves in that way. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, then I think it creates a level of shame as well. Like maybe you can't show emotions or if you're a boy, you can't cry or Mm -hmm. whatever these things that we begin to condition in children. Um, but we're allowing people to, you know, explore and be everything that they can be. And, um, to be just be able to sit with that and encourage it. Um, but you're right as a, the person then who goes out in the world, we have to figure out how to channel it or, or express it in some way. Well, and really I don't, it's probably the same for you, but many, many of the people that I, I, that attend my courses or that I work with or whatever, you know, 99% of the time um, it's really the, the journey for them is reconnecting with who they really are or their authentic self Mm -hmm. and looking for those parts of themselves that they haven't given the opportunity to, um, to be expressed or to be lived. Right. That's, uh, that's where it is. And so many of us trying to fit into what we think is expected of us or how society defines success or, you know, what we should be doing. And so many people that I talk to spend a lifetime pursuing a path that um, they feel that they was supposed to, or was valued or was important and then get to a point where they say, but I'm not fulfilled and I'm not happy because there's a part of themselves that um, was never able to be expressed yeah, absolutely. And, and it's so funny. It You know, I'm hoping that we're raising a generation of children that embraces who they are, because you're right, you, you know, through the work that we do, we the, it's the age that we meet people, you know, come later in life that are trying to express their authentic, authentic self, just trying to figure out what that is, and then making it okay and safe for themselves to express it. Because for so long, and it could be just even one or two people that told them it wasn't okay to do it. Yep. And so therefore, it becomes like a default setting. Yes. And um, it can take a lot to overcome that. Um, so I'm hoping that we're raising a generation that is uh, is more willing to show who they really are and not be afraid, and that we're also a society that encourages it and accepts that yes. coming forward. Because, you know, talking about how we respond, how we respond matters. And we don't want to shut people down. We want to light them up uh, because that is needed in this world. Well, you know, even uh, at the very beginning of the book on page three in Begin with a Broken Heart, she says, In the language of Buddhism, our ultimate commitment is to attain enlightenment. In essence, this means knowing fully who we really are. And, you know, I think that's what drew me, you know, to to her and and to, you know, the Buddhist practices, which is, you know, I'm certainly not um, fully immersed. It's not all of my spiritual journey is the Buddhist practices. But the the part that draws me is that... um, that curiosity, that exploration, that journey into finding out who my authentic self, right? And that for me is a lifelong path. I don't think I'll ever arrive, but I I feel um, continual um, kind of joy and excitement and interest and curiosity as it unfolds. So there's, Mm. so I don't have to, I don't have to tick the box or get there or do it perfectly, right? It's a it's an unfolding and it's a journey, and um, it's it's a it's a great joy. And I love to see that when it starts to happen mm. in others. So I think that's what that's what draws me. I think to Pema and to this book specifically is um, just a more unfolding of that that journey. Yeah. And obviously to helping other people is watching other people's journeys unfold oh. and helping them give permission, you know, as strange as that may sound in some ways, that's what you do when you honor and see people. It's like, it's okay to unfold that life and unpack it mm-hmm. and, and become it, become whatever you want. 
Oh, it's so exciting. You know, when you start to see people really get in touch, because I honestly believe, and I guess I always have, you know, prior to Buddhist practices or whatever, if you think even in traditional Christian um, practices, there is that sense of being a unique creation, right? That Mm -hmm. there's something, and I believe this, something special and unique about each person that is unlike any other person on the planet who, or who has ever existed or will exist, that each of us have a unique um, spirit or, or essence that, uh, that is here for a reason. And so discovering what that is, you know, is, you know, I sort of say it's life's greatest adventure, you know, because it, it's, it's traveling into the unknown in some cases, it's very explorative and, um, and it can be very rewarding and exciting as well. Mm. And and that's one of the things that I like what she talks about in this book is, you know, all the things that we were just talking about, about being up and close with uh, and personal with our feelings and, mm. and changing things and being mindful how, how we respond. And she calls it, you know, open awareness, mm-hmm. this idea, right? A sort of expansion and looking around and tasting and touching and smelling and feeling everything that we're feeling. And what I like about it is that what she says on page 86, she goes, you may feel like nothing's changing, but there's a slow simmer going on. Mm-hmm. I love that, a slow simmer. It may not be obvious, but your practice, there's that word again, mm-hmm. is burning up those karmic seeds slowly but surely. And I think sometimes that's why we lose steam or fall off our practices because we don't feel like it's actually making a difference from our daily whatever little thing is happening. But I like what she says. It's a slow simmer. You can rest assured there is actually something going on. And I've had that by doing a meditation practice, thinking it doesn't feel like it's doing anything. And I could eventually tell that it was doing something, whether it's doing yoga, getting stronger daily, whatever it is, like these small, minute steps go somewhere. And it's doing something that you cannot see. And there's that trust in that. Well, I think that that's, you know, one of the reasons that I've um, continued down this path is, you know, when I, I mean, people talk and I actually had a conversation with somebody this weekend about, you know, and she said to me, you know, you, you know, you are committed to the spiritual journey. Well, you know, it sounds like a lofty thing, but the truth is it was out of necessity, right? It was was out of, of, of my active inner life and a lot of those big emotions and looking for a way to to live with those and um, and the fact that um, that Pema talks a lot about the reality of that suffering and I trusted when she explained when she talked about Shempa and being hooked and that that feeling inside and those intensity of emotions that drew me in and so that's what uh, kept me going in terms of the practices was you know what she's saying about that experience makes sense to me. So I'm trusting that the processes that and the tools and the practices that she's sharing with me are going to make a difference. And so slowly over time, they've made a huge difference uh, mm. in, in my life. And, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty, um, pretty content most of the time. And when I am life sort of hits you sideways and something gets triggered, I have those tools today uh, to be able to work with. And I'm so grateful for that. Mm. Yeah, it's so true. And it's this practice in advance because you're going to need it. Yeah. (laughs) And unfortunately, but it is how you can help yourself and build strength and have something to fall back on. And, uh, you know, what she talks about in this book, she calls, you know, achieving bada chita, bada meaning uh, uh, bodhi, meaning awake, and chita meaning heart. So an awakened heart. And And when I hear that word awakened heart, I feel like I want to say alive and alive heart, like you've come alive in some way. Yes. And um, you begin to see things in a different light. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, I guess the other thing that has been a motivation factor for me in terms of this journey is, you know, I've had some people close to me who um, I've been able to sit with at the end of life and, mm-hmm. um, some have been peaceful and some have not. And, um, uh, had a, you know, a family member who, you know, um, was terrified in her last days and, uh, and scared to death and, and fighting and, um, you know, fearful. And I just thought, you know, 
I don't want to be there. You know, I, at the end of life, like as things, you know, because it's a natural and Eckhart talks about this mm-hmm. as well. It's a natural process in our journey that at a certain stage in our life, there's, it's about loss and about letting go and about, you know, mm-hmm. death every day. And, and I think yes. she talks about it. In she does. Book. She does talk about it. Yeah. yeah. And so I, it was about, yeah, it was about six or seven years ago that I thought, you know, I, I believe it's possible to have that peace regardless, right? If I, God forbid, if I lost my husband, my home, my health, all of those things, I believe it's possible to be at peace. But it's also, it's not something I can do, to your point, at the time. It's a spiritual muscle that I have to start working on now. And um, it was kind of a conscious decision to start to develop that because I want that and I believe it's possible that that sense of of peace when it when I get to that point in my in my journey. So yeah, I agree. I agree. It's a practice before you need it. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything that you wanted to say that I haven't asked you about with respect to the book or? Um. No, just I guess maybe to reiterate, and and it's another thing that that Pema refers to. You know, I heard one time in. Um, in a in another audiobook, but she talks about how it's just a very natural thing for us to always be seeking solid ground. You know, we're not comfortable with uncertainty and um, we don't want to welcome the unwelcome, you know, and that's that's natural. So the analogy that she gave was, you know, you're in a in the middle of a of a, a fast moving stream or river and you're being carried downstream and our natural reaction is to grab for the shore. But she said, if you grab for the rocks on the shore, all that happens is you get banged up against the rocks. And she said, learning how to let go of the shore and live with that uncertainty or welcome that unwelcome. And she said, move into the middle of the stream and let the waves carry you. And, um, and for me, that's what this, this journey is about is, and, and understanding a, that it's natural for me to grab on to things that are familiar and safe. It's easier for me to create a story in my mind, either to blame myself for everything or to be critical of others. Um, but, you know, slowly cultivating that sense of emptiness and, um, and letting go of the shore and getting comfortable with uncertainty and so grateful that I have a learning zone so I don't have to do it all at once, right? If it gets too scary, it's okay to pull back. It's just mm-hmm. about increasing that every day. Um, yeah, so just yeah. just similar, um, similar concepts. And I love that she does that, that she really... It's the same message over and over again, but it comes in a different form. And um, I need that because these are not concepts that I grew up with, right? So it takes a while to process them and to um, incorporate and them. Incorporate <laughs> them. Yeah. yeah. Embody yeah. them in some way. That's right. Yeah. If um, people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? And you have some courses coming up in October. Um, so I do. Do, are those, yeah, are those advertised somewhere or are they, um, they are, they're, uh, they're on my website, uh, design for life coaching.ca and, um, and, you know, Lynn Gao. And I think, um, I've shared with you my contact information, Dana, but, uh, yeah, I'll sorry. put it in the show notes, but, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, so we're doing, um, it's, it's who am I and it's three sessions and they're virtual through zoom. Uh, and I'm located in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, so uh, it's in that time zone. We're offering them on Wednesday evenings, three Wednesday evenings in October. We're also repeating them on Saturday mornings. And uh, there's another session coming up in November, uh, which is uh, also on my website. It's called Going Deeper. So who am I is the prerequisite to that. And uh, we, I have a number of folks who have taken Who Am I over the last few years. So we're going to offer a, a second session going deeper for those people that have that uh, concepts. And it's more experiential and it's more a, a bit of practice in terms of a group practice of um, meditation and um, using some of the tools. 
Mm, awesome. So if someone's listening to this past October, I know you've offered these in the past, so likely they'll probably be offered in the future. Yes. But to, to check your website if they're they're interested in, in that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, you can subscribe to the to a newsletter there on the website as well. So we don't bombard people probably uh, once every couple of months, there's something that comes out that gives updates of upcoming programs or events and, um, and um, a blog post that, you know, I'd like to say I do, you know, every couple of weeks, but it's it's a little bit sporadic. But I think there's some uh, good information there as well along the same lines. So mm. Yeah, well, thank you very much for having this conversation with me. Uh, I feel like it's like a mini book club. It's a book club that I'd want to belong to, <laughs> 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 where we get to all the juicy, meaningful things in life. Yeah, and uh, I, I appreciate your insight and and uh, and your and sharing your own spiritual journey and what you've learned along the way. Well, thanks, Dana. I really uh, I love talking about this stuff. And so I just really loved when you reached out. And um, it's just a joy for me to to share it with someone who else who is like minded and, you know, encourage folks to just uh, have a bit of curiosity about their own, uh, their own journey. It's definitely uh, an adventure worth taking. Yes, I agree. Thank you so much, Lynn. Thanks, Dana. That was such a great conversation. If you loved it too, subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Please go to iTunes to rate and review this podcast. And if you want to continue the conversation, connect with Soul Sister Conversations on the Facebook and Instagram pages. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Dana Lloyd Leadership, on Twitter at Coach Dana underscore Lloyd, and of course on LinkedIn. See you next week.